We're, we're in a series called God Who Sends, and we're looking at the sending nature of our God. You know, we describe God, we think about him, and our first reaction might be that uh, he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of, of holiness. All those would be correct, wouldn't they? He's a God of power. He's a God of knowledge. He's a God of fill in the blank. But you know what else is a part of his very nature? Is he's a God who sends. And is the, the moment, every time in scripture, the moment after a person comes to faith in Jesus, the next step for them, every time, the only, the only, again, I told you, the only example I can think of that might be an exception would be the guy on the cross right before he dies. He sends them on mission. He sends them on mission. It happens with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Isaiah, with Nehemiah we saw last week. And this morning we're going to see it with even Jesus himself was sent. Was sent by God the Father as a missionary. Now let me ask you, when you think of being a missionary, what do you think of? You know, we had an example. We had Doug here this morning. He moved from from his, his home in this area and went to Texas and serves the Lord there. But... There's others, though, have been mission, missionaries in, into foreign lands. And sometimes we think a missionary and we think Africa, we think India, we think halfway around the world in a totally different culture. Imagine for a second, Allison, imagine if you were sent as a missionary to Bolivia. You've been to Bolivia a few times, right? A couple times anyway. And imagine God would send you as a missionary there. Imagine what that would be like. You're going to go to a place where there's a different climate. They're, they're heading into summer, we're headed into, or they're heading into spring, we're heading into fall. It, it'd be a different diet, it'd be a, a different language, it'd be a different, uh, different way to dress. Everything would be different. Now imagine how much different that was for Jesus who came from eternity in perfect relationship with the Father and came and was sent totally cross-culturally, put on flesh and came to this world as a missionary to reach us with the gospel. Imagine the shock of that for him going from perfect holiness and no sin to a world that's incredibly broken and messed up. Well, that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at the example of how Jesus was sent by God. As he, how he was sent as a missionary ultimately to this world to reach people like you and me with his truth, with his gospel. And uh, we'll see in the end that not only is he sent, but in the end, he also sends us. Let me pray, and we'll dive into the text together. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your goodness to us through him. I thank you for, uh, for your grace, for your undeserved love to me and to our church. Uh, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you fill me at the moment I trust Jesus, and, and you indwell me. And I pray this morning you would fill me and speak to me and through me. Father, thank you that you forgive me of my sins in Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, against his servants, their works and effects. I thank you that Jesus, when he was sent, uh, dealt once and for all with Satan and uh, conquered death and sin and the power of, of the enemy so that we could be free, so that we too could be sent as your missionaries into this world. I pray that uh, you would teach us, you would encourage us, and uh, Jesus, by your example, we would see that part of imaging you perfectly and following you uh, with a whole heart is to see ourselves sent just like you were. Thanks that you did it first, that you gave us the example. Teach us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. And uh, if you've got your Bible, you've got an app, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. 
Now, normally we don't open this passage except around Christmas time, but I was looking back, and actually the last time we opened this passage together was a couple years ago, and it was after Christmas. And uh, it's been three or four years since we've actually preached this passage at Christmas. So that's all right, though. It's a good reminder of us for us of Jesus being sent. So we're just going to pick up. I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. You can read along or listen. And here's what it says. You'll recognize this. Maybe you heard Linus say this to Charlie Brown and the gang and the Christmas special. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary as betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels had went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured these things all up in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it, was, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Well, let's start to unpack this. And what I want you to see this morning is in this text, and we'll look at a few others as well, that basically like we did with Nehemiah last week, five aspects of him being sent. We're going to see five ways in which Jesus was sent, different different pieces of his sending, being sent as a missionary to this earth. First off, number one, Jesus was sent in humility. He was sent in humility. Now, imagine, you're the God of the universe. You've created everything that was. In fact, you're the power, Colossians says in Jesus, that holds all things together. You spoke, and it was, and it came about. And now you're going to put on flesh and enter the world you created. How would you choose to do that? I think of myself when I was young, I'd like to build stuff out of Legos, right? If I could create this big Lego land and like go into the land of Lego, I'd probably go in and I'd be a ruler of Legoland. And I've had the, I'd have the cool car with like the fancy rubber wheels instead of the plastic ones. And I'd, I'd, I'd rule and reign over Legoland, right? If I entered into my creation. But you know what? What does Jesus do? He doesn't do that, does he? He had every right to, but how does he enter the world? Well, 
he put on flesh. And he didn't come as a conquering king. He came in humility as a vulnerable baby. See, here's, here's the story. Verses 1 through 3, there was a census that took place. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. That doesn't mean they just went home, you know, and, and kind of filled out the paperwork that came in the mail. It means they went to their ancestral town, to the place where they had they'd grown up, where their, where their people were from. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are your people from? Imagine if you had to go back there every census to be counted. That's how they did it in that day. And, and everyone went to the place of their ancestral lineage. In this case, Joseph's own town was Bethlehem. And so he left the town where he lived, which was Nazareth, and he headed 50, 60, 70 miles south to Bethlehem. And he didn't hop on the interstate and take off. He packed everything up, and they made a long, slow journey walking and by donkey to get to Bethlehem. Well, Nazareth, where they were from, was a tiny place. See, Jesus, Jesus entered in humility just in the fact of how he was born as an infant, but where did he go after he was born from Bethlehem? Well, he went home with his parents to this tiny little town called Nazareth. Nazareth was a small agricultural town. Uh, some of the archaeology of the day has found uh, tombs, olive presses, wine, oil cellars, indicating their agricultural roots. And in a lot of ways, it's a small town with the ag background, not unlike the place we live, not unlike Milford. And, and Jesus goes to this small town to grow up with his family. Eventually, we know he, he would have to flee to Egypt, but he'd come back and end up in Nazareth. And for some reason, Nazareth had a poor reputation. My guess is it might have just been a bias against a small town. You know, I can remember going to college in Chicago and living in the city for a while. And you tell people where you're from and I'd say a small town. And they're like, oh, so like what, 30, 40,000 people? I'm like, no, like, like one, 2,000 people. Oh, like, like that's not, is that even a town? Yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. And, and he, Jesus goes back and grows up in this small town, but there was this bias against Nazareth. I mean, when you get to John 1, 46, 45 and 46, see, the, 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 the bias was probably, ah, it's a, a small hick town. And really, that would have been true because not many people in this small town would have ever been able to learn to read. They wouldn't have had that opportunity. And so some think the fact that Jesus was able to go to Egypt and flee, if you know the whole story, and come back, that maybe he was educated in Egypt and learned to read, but... When he gets into his ministry in John chapter 1, 45 and 46, Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, he says, hey, the, the one Moses spoke about, that guy is here, the Messiah. And, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. How does Nathaniel reply? Do you remember? He goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That tiny little hick town? Really? You're telling me the Messiah is coming from there. Yet that's where Jesus was sent. He was sent to a small town. And then ultimately he grew up there and he was sent from that small town. Hey, you and I, we're like Jesus in that way. We're sent to small towns. Small towns of, of New Paris and Milford and Napanee and, and Warsaw, Winona Lake and Leesburg and North Webster and Syracuse. And I could keep going, couldn't I? We're, we're like Jesus in that way. We're sent to a small town. And, and some of us will be like Jesus in other ways. Where you, like Doug, you might be sent from a small town to go and serve the Lord one day. But ultimately, you too have been sent. 
Well, so Jesus has humility both in the way that he was born into this world, the way he entered in vulnerability, in the small town that he grew up in, and even the details surrounding his birth, let alone just the fact that he entered so vulnerably. He was born of a virgin. He was, he was an outcast from birth because Mary and Joseph, Mary his mother and Joseph his earthly father, his adoptive dad, weren't married when Mary became pregnant. So everybody in the community would have looked down upon them and cast them out. And you can imagine how the people of the small town might have looked at Jesus, the bastard child born of Mary. And yet that's how they, that's how they saw him probably. And yet, yet this is the guy, this is the God of the universe who created everything. And he grows up in such humility. Born to a teenage mom, no lodging for them. So, she, so he's born outside, not in the hospital, not by a midwife, but in a cave. There's no bassinet. There was no baby shower for Mary. She lies him where? In a manger, in the feeding trough of the animals. It's the only place to lay his head. Jesus is incredibly humble. Now, why does he come in such humility? Well, he comes because if you're a good missionary, you know what you do? The place you're sent to, you learn to identify with the people around you. You learn to live like they do. If I was going to be a missionary to France and all I did was speak English and eat hot dogs, they'd be like, what is this guy doing? I would never gain a hearing with those people, would I? If I was going to be a missionary to France, what's one of the things I should do? I should learn to speak the language. I should learn to, uh, uh, to, to, to eat their diet, to, to understand their culture. And that's exactly what Jesus does. That's why he's born in such humility, because he's a missionary. And he's the ultimate cross-cultural missionary. And he comes to understand what it's like to live perfectly as a human so that we could see it and so that he could relate to us. And in fact, in Hebrews, it says that he was our perfect substitute, our perfect sacrifice, that we don't have a high priest who has no idea how to relate to us, but we have one who empathizes with us in every way, because just like us, he was born of a woman. He was born as a man and he lived a human life. See, the God of the universe, perfect God, 100% God, he never like took his deity and said, I'm not God anymore. He wrapped it with flesh, incarnate, incarnate, in meat. He put on flesh and came into this world and simply veiled his deity and lived in his humanity as a missionary. Let me ask you, where are you sent? Are you sent to a factory line? Are you sent to an office cubicle? Are you sent to a school as a teacher, as a student? How do you do a good job of, and this is tricky, right? Understanding and loving people where they're at and, and, and entering into their world and entering into their culture, but at the same time, not letting yourself be corrupted to where you're polluted by the sin of this world. Well, you only do that by the power of the Spirit. And that's how Jesus did it. But yet it starts with a heart of love for people. And the reason Jesus came in such humility was to relate to us and because of his love for us. That's why we say every week, you are, what is it? Loved. You're loved. First by Jesus and hopefully second by everyone in this church. You are loved. Well, Jesus, not only was he sent in humility, but he was sent, number two, Jesus is sent to save. Look at verse eight. We get to the shepherds. See, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. This is after, it kind of gives you a side, sidebar 
different scene of what's happening right after Mary had given birth to, to Jesus. And in the same region nearby, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. I've told you this before, but if you were a shepherd, that was the, the low rung on the totem pole. That was the entry-level job. In fact, that was the, if you're a teenager, that's the part-time job you got, but it was full-time and didn't really pay. And the shepherds were likely like junior high, teenage guys. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, especially if you had the, the slot in the middle of the night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what did they do? What would you do? You're out in the middle of the night watching over a flock of sheep, and you're young and alone, and the sky lights up. The glory of God shines around you. Maybe you're sitting around telling jokes. Maybe you're dozing off. All of a sudden, bright light. What would you do? You might be, whoa, wow. My guess, though, is you would do like these boys did. They were filled with fear. They were filled with fear. Why? Because they saw an angel. The angel said to them, fear not. And you know why I think that, that's why you and I, that's what we would do when we saw him? Because every example of when an angel shows up in the Bible, you know the first reaction of everybody who sees him isn't, hey, it's an angel. It's, <laughs> they freak out. It's an angel. Daniel, fear. Isaiah, fear. Ezekiel, fear. Zechariah, fear. John, fear. Mary, fear. The shepherds, fear. This wasn't like one of those angels like you see in a Hallmark card, in a diaper, on a cloud with a harp. The angels of the Bible, the true angels, are warriors. And they're decked out in armor and they're fierce. They battle for your soul against the enemy. They wage war for God. And when you see him, I guarantee you, you'd fall on your face in fear just like these boys did. But every time, you know what the response of the angel is? Fear not. We're on the same side. I serve your God. Fear not, he says to them, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, namely Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I wonder what the boys were doing then. They hear this and then, or maybe they're getting excited. And then I bet you all of a sudden they get scared again for a second. Because look what happens. Immediately, suddenly, there was with them... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So now they've seen just one angel. Now they see the whole army. And they're, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, imagine it gets dark again. Their hearts are pounding and racing. They're maybe a little bit breathless. The shepherds said to one another, we got to go see what he was talking about. We gotta go check it out. Forget the flock. We gotta go. And they take off for Bethlehem to go see. Now, why was this such a thing of great joy? Because look, unto you this day in the city of David is born what? A savior. The one who had been promised for generations, the one who would save people from their sin. Like Jesus, we're to be sent in humility into, into the culture we live in 
to, to love it, to care for it like Jesus would. But unlike Jesus, Jesus was sent to save. And we're sent to tell people that he was sent to save. He was sent to live the perfect life that you and I could never live. He was sent to, to die on the cross, the criminal's death that you and I deserve to die. That I deserve to die. He, he, he came and was sent to save me from my sin and from myself and from the wrath of God. And instead, he was the propitiation of our sins. The, I told you the way you remember that word, propitiation. He took the punch of God's wrath for me. So that I could have his life. So that I could be saved. Because Jesus was sent to save. Like, I don't know, can he, I don't know if he can save me. You don't, you don't know my past, Josh. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know my sin. No, I don't, but Jesus does. And can he do it? You sang it this morning. Yes, he can. And in fact, yes, he did. If you'd simply respond to him in faith. The promise he makes to everyone. If you trust him and believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Well, Jesus was sent in humility. He was sent to save. And then three other aspects of how Jesus was sent that relate to one another. Number three here, these next three all kind of relate to one another. Jesus is sent as a prophet. Jesus is sent as a prophet. One of the things that happens with Jesus when he's, he's dedicated to the Lord by his parents, like we do a child dedication every now and then, and there's nothing magical or, or saving about that. It's a commitment, really not of the children, but of the parents to say, hey, we're going to do our best to raise this child to love the Lord. And Jesus is dedicated in the temple, starting in verse 22. And, and while they're there, they run into this guy named Simeon. You get to verse 34. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In the Old Testament, the prophet revealed God by speaking God's word. He was, he was courageously bold. He, he, he stood up to confront sin, to command repentance, to cry out the truth of God. And because of their brazenness, oftentimes the prophets elicited strong reactions from people. Some full of love for them. Yeah, preach it. Amen. Others full of contempt and hate for them. Kill them. Shut them up. This is because the prophet's words would bring the repentant to brokenness and the unrepentant to hardenedness and hard-heartedness. And that's exactly here what Simeon says Jesus will do. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. Some who will fall at his words and become more hard-hearted. Others who will rise at his words and be repentant and follow him. And he'll be a prophet. Now, I read this and I think, man... Imagine if I would do that. Some Sunday we're doing child dedications and I pick up one of the kids and pray for them. And then I turn to their mom and I say, um, hey, uh, this child is, is going to make a lot of people angry. He's uh, going to create a lot of enemies. 
In fact, he's going to be opposed by the whole nation. He's appointed for that by God. And the sword isn't only going to pierce through him, but it'll pierce through your soul too. And he's going to bring you, what what happens to him is going to bring you incredible pain. So that the thoughts of many and the hearts of many, in in the hearts of many would be revealed. Can you imagine that? That might be the last child dedication I get to do. <laughs> Yet that's what happens. That's what Simeon does. He's, he's, he warns her. He prophesies. He said, this, this young one will be a prophet. And some will respond to him in repentance, but many will respond to him with, with hate and a hard heart. And it's going to pierce your soul. And Jesus is sent as a prophet. And as a prophet, he comes and this office of prophet, he, he proclaims the word of the Lord. In fact, John calls him the word incarnate. He is the word of the Lord himself. And every other prophet in the Old Testament, ultimately, you know who they were pointing to? Jesus. Moses was an incredible prophet. You know who was a better prophet? Jesus. Ezekiel was an incredible prophet. You know who was a better prophet? Jesus. So was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi. You know who's a better prophet? Jesus. Jesus was the perfect prophet. He totally fulfilled it. And he proclaimed that everything else was a shadow that was being cast from the future by Jesus. They proclaimed the Messiah is coming. Repent. Turn to the Lord. Jesus says, here I am. Repent. Turn to me. You'll be saved. Not by anything you do, but solely by God's grace to you. We're to be sent as prophets. You believe that? I do. You're to be sent. In other words, a prophet is just somebody who proclaims God's word. You're to be sent to proclaim the word of the Lord. Like Jesus. Just as the Father sent me, Jesus says, I'm sending you. How was Jesus sent? He was sent in humility. He was sent to save. We point him to his salvation. He was sent as a prophet. So we should be sent to proclaim the word of God. To bring it into situations that need to hear it. Sometimes that's a word for comfort. Other times that's a word that's hard to speak, isn't it? But yet God's word promises fruit. Now, I would advise you, be sent in humility first before you come in as a prophet. (laughs) Earn that opportunity to be the prophet and to be the voice of the Lord to them. God will use you in that way. But Jesus was sent as a prophet. He came to preach, to proclaim, Mark 1, 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They were searching for Jesus and they found him and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. What does he say? Do you remember this scene? Jesus had ducked away to pray. And Jesus says, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. For that's why I came out. That's why I was sent. As a prophet to preach and proclaim God's word. Later, a few verses later in verse 40 of Mark chapter 1, a leper came to him imploring him, kneeling and said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. He proclaimed the word. He proclaimed healing. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. As prophet, Jesus is the bold confrontational preacher who's continually calling us to repentance. He's continually preaching God's word, sometimes in a way that brings comfort, but oftentimes in a way that brings us and calls us to repentance. And we need to bring God's word in the same way. Well, not only was Jesus sent as prophet, he was sent in humility, he was sent to save, he was sent as prophet, he was also sent as priest. Jesus is sent, number four, as a priest. 
In the Old Testament, the prophet proclaimed God's word. The priest would humbly stand between God and people as a mediator of sorts. He would bring the hopes and dreams and fears and sins of the people before God as their advocate, as their intercessor. The priest would hear the confession of sin and then he'd pray for the people. If you had the opportunity to go to somebody when you're hurting, to go to the prophet or to go to the priest, you usually would want to go to the priest because the prophet would tell you the truth, but the priest might show you a little more grace and might love you a little better. Furthermore, essential to the role of the priest, they're the one who offered sacrifices to show that a couple things. One, that sin is very real and that it deserved death while asking God's blessing on them as well. And all the functions of the priest, ultimately they're fulfilled in Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who would humbly stand and humbly stands before Almighty God and us and dispenses God's grace to us and prays for us and intercedes for us as our mediator. And Jesus is the one, just as the priest would offer the sacrifice for sin in the Old Testament, Jesus is the one who offered the ultimate sacrifice for sin, himself on the cross. And while the priest would give blessing to the people, Jesus is the one who blesses his people. The writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus as our high priest. He says in chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable, I, I said this earlier, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted like we are. But with one difference, he never sinned. Without, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, if you needed mercy, if you needed grace in the Old Testament, you went to the priest to pray for you. You went to the priest to offer sacrifice. Today, we have a high priest who we go to in Jesus. Do you need grace? Do you need hope? Go to Jesus. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came, not, or came excuse me, to seek and save the lost. Paul tells Timothy, There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Think about it as, as priest, then Jesus, he sent his priest. He's, he's actively being patient with me. That's his grace and his mercy. He know, he, he's actively knowing me and caring for me, interceding for me. He's changing my life through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And as priest, Jesus steps down from his throne to serve me. You're to be sent in that same role as priest to the culture you live in, to the people who need God's grace and needs God's mercy. And you're to step down from your throne of your life and serve people, love people, and care for them where they're at. That takes humility, doesn't it? Again, all of this comes back, I think, to us being sent in humility into our world. And then we can serve as the hands and feet of Jesus in that role of, of a priest. And in fact, the, the New Testament tells us for all of us then, that's the priesthood of believers. We all fill that role as part of Jesus' church, his hands and feet, serving people, loving people with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, pointing them to his salvation. How are you doing at that one? How are you doing at that one? How are you doing at loving people where they're at? 
Well, Jesus was sent his prophet, he was sent his priest, and then third, you can maybe guess the third one if you've been a part of the church for any time. Jesus is sent as king, prophet, priest, and king. In John 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, he said, my kingdom, my kingdom, who who owns kingdoms? Kings do. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from, not of this world. He understood his kingdom was much more. It wasn't, he came to serve this world, to bring people into his kingdom. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. You are a king. And Jesus answered him. He said, you say that I'm a king. The truth is for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world. Here's part of why, why he was sent to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Well, as king, Jesus is God. As king, Jesus rules over everything sovereignly. As king, he demands and deserves and has all authority over my life as he sits on the throne. Jesus is king. He's the one who who brings order to his kingdom. He's the one who brings hope and benevolence to his kingdom as a good king who rules and reigns. He's the one who, who, who loves the people of his kingdom and, and calls them to, to serve him. Now, I think we're sent in that way too as king, but not, I gotta be careful I say this because you're not king. <laughs> there is a king, you're not him. But you're sent as his ambassador, right? You're sent with his authority. You're sent in his power to do what? Not to rule and reign for yourself, to rule and reign for him, to build his kingdom. And so being sent in that role, then we're sent as Jesus' ambassadors. That's what Paul writes about. He says, I speak to you as an ambassador of the Lord. Speaking to you as if it was the Lord himself, calling you to repentance. And so we're we're to love our community. We're to, to care for and bring order to the world in Jesus' name as he does as king in his kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, your, be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? Right here, just like it is in heaven. Well, how do you suppose that happens? By you being sent as his ambassador, sent in that role of king, loving people in the name of the king, pointing them to their good and benevolent and loving king who wants what's best for them. Loved ones, Jesus is sent in humility and, and to save and as a prophet and a priest and a king. Now, I'm, as just a side note to the prophet, priest, king thing, I, I think it's amazing. Jesus does all three of those perfectly. He's the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. And sometimes we're all sent to help fulfill those roles, but I, I think sometimes we diminish some of them. And so if you're, you're all prophet and king, but you're no priest, you proclaim the truth and you rule and bring order, but you never show grace like a priest does. You know, the Jesus you proclaim isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It's just the Jesus of hardcore fundamentalism where you're lacking his grace. Now, I say that carefully because we're a fundamentalist church. We believe the fundamentals of the Bible and that's the truth of God and we rest on that. But there's, there's a hard version of that that pulls out grace and says, do it. Or pay the price. And if we don't come in the role of priest, would you leave people with that? At the same time, if we're 
all prophet and priest and no king. And we proclaim the truth and we proclaim his grace, but we do nothing to bring order and grace in a practical way to this world. Then we lose a hearing. We lose relevance with a world that's in desperate need that says, yeah, I, I think I believe that. I think that sounds good, but show it to me. We need to be sent as king as well. And if we're sent as priest and king and we, all, we preach grace and we bring order to the world, but we never preach truth as a prophet. We preach the Jesus of liberalism where it's just do what you want. Jesus will love you and let's do what we can to make this world good. But there has to be the truth of God's word as well and the role of prophet. So we need to do all three things. That's the Jesus of the Bible. We need to come in that way of prophet, knowing Jesus is the perfect prophet, but in his name, bringing the truth and proclaiming the truth to a world that needs it. We need to come in that role of priest, be sent just as Jesus was as priest to bring grace and love and hope to a people who desperately need it. And we need to come in that role as king to to bring order and restoration and hope to our community, even those who who, who don't know Jesus yet, that they might enter his kingdom. But all of it roots back to being sent in the same way Jesus was, and that's with humility. To enter into our world, to grow, for some of us, maybe that means cross-culturally into some neighborhoods and into some homes that are a little messy and a little uncomfortable. But to put on flesh of those people like Jesus does and love them like Jesus did us. And bring his word and his grace and his order to this world. Amen. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21 to his disciples. And then ultimately to you. Peace be with you. And as the father has sent me, even so, in the same way, I'm sending you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And thanks that very graciously you send us into this world just as you sent Jesus into this world. You send us, help us remember though first, you send us with, in humility. We shouldn't have a big head. We, we shouldn't see ourselves as better than anyone because apart from your grace, we're as horrible as anyone. But instead you send us in humility just as Jesus came vulnerably. We should go vulnerably to people who need to hear the truth so that they too might be saved. Help us to go as your prophet, to to proclaim your word, to speak the truth. Help us to go as as your priest, as one who, who brings grace and hope and healing to people and cares for them in their time of need. And help us to go as your ambassador, one sent by the king to bring order and restoration and goodness and goodwill to this world as ambassadors of your kingdom where everything is good. Father, I pray for those who've never trusted you. I pray this morning that they might turn in saving faith to you and enter into your kingdom and to be sent by you even today. Remind us of that this week as we head out and uh, remind us even as we sing of your grace to us and then you're sending us. We love you. We thank you for Jesus whom you've sent. It's in his name we pray. Amen.